No, I mean it. I mean, I just feel overcome in worship and I've got to stand up here and talk. And you'd think in my profession I'd be quite good at bottling the emotions and just doing the job, but some days it's harder than others. So thanks so much for your leadership to Baldwin and Friends for their lovely leadership this morning. And I'd like to add my welcome to you. My name's Simon. I'm a member of this congregation. I'm a father, and for this week I'm the second time a grandfather. Yeah. So it's especially resonant Father's Day. You know, in one sense, because we're completing a series here this morning on the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, you could say, well, you know, what's this got to do with Father's Day? But in another sense, there's absolutely no doubt that Paul viewed Timothy quite explicitly as his son in the faith. So what we're doing today is wrapping up some words from a father who knew the good, good father and wanted to pass on some words of advice to his young protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. So it seems apt, really, when you think about it, that we're looking at First Timothy today. Before we get to the passage, though, um, I'd like to take a little survey. And I, I'm wondering, could you put your hand up if you still have a conventional landline phone in your house? Okay, yep. And I reckon if we did a little survey, you'd find that actually that's the uh, upper age demographic. Uh, we have one. Uh, we, we, we have a landline phone in our house because the package we have with Telstra, we have to have one. And, you know, there are some people in our family, and they do tend to be elderly, one of them just turned 94, who do occasionally ring us on this phone, so we keep it plugged in. But who do you think rings us most of the time on this phone? Yeah, OK. Well, you, you live at my house. You know who rings us. <laughs> And who never answers the phone because it's always an Indian person. Okay, so, you know, they're ringing up either wanting to sell us solar panels. I don't want your solar panels, I already got one. Or alternatively, there's a problem with our computer. Yes, you know that one, don't you? So what do you do do with those people? So hang up on them. Yeah, okay, so I used to do that. But actually I thought, no, I'm going to engage these people in conversation. So I had a conversation where a lady rang up claiming to be from the National Broadband Network and our old line was about to be disconnected and it was vital that various things were done to my computer to sort this out. I'm thinking, yeah, right, this all happened a year ago and besides which I don't believe you. Uh, So I said, okay, so look, um, I think you and I both know that this isn't true, that what you're telling me is actually a lie and you're trying to get money from me. Oh, no, sir, no, no, I, I won't insult any Indian people at present by trying to do an accent because that would just be very bad. Nonetheless, um, without the accents, no sir, etc, etc, all the protestations, I said, look, you know, you sound like a reasonable person and I bet you don't get up in the morning thinking, I want to rip people off, I want to do bad. I said, I believe that most people when they get up in the morning would actually like to do something positive and would like at the end of the day to think, I've done some good to someone today and I'll bet you are no different. So why are you doing this? Why are you ripping people off? Because you know in your heart that that's what you're doing. And at this point, most of them hang up. (laughs) It's kind of nice when they hang up on you. You know, they kind of feel like that's sort of a win. There was a long pause. And she said, yes, and I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry that we take money from people who are gullible. And I hate doing it. But sir, I am powerless. Now, I'd like to tell you that she lived in Bangalore and because of connections that I have with a friend who's got a ministry there that I was able to put her in touch with that church and she gave her life to the Lord. I'd be lying. That's not true. I do have some connections in Bangalore. Actually, because I hadn't really thought my script through, kind of things got a bit awkward and we hung up. 
So, you know, it's not the best story ever. But, you know, I thought, dang, I've got to have a finishing line ready for next time. I guess, though, that what that got me thinking about was, you know, um, there's quite a bit in this morning's passage about riches. And to be rich is to have choices. To be rich is to have options. Now, I believe that young woman, wherever she was, presumably in India, that she did have choices and options, but I respected that she presumably was doing that because she felt she had no other way to put food on the table, to pay off a debt. I don't know what sort of coercion or pressure she was under, but she felt that she had no choice but to rip people off. And I guess because we're seen by them as being wealthy, then we're fair game. But she felt that she didn't have choices, and that was the nature of her powerlessness, of her poverty. Now, of course, I actually believe it's always appropriate to make choices that feed your soul and that do good rather than ones that white-hand your soul because if you live in lies all day, every day, that has to pollute you. I didn't think to say that to her at the time. And I also believe in a God very firmly who, if we make right choices, choices in accordance with his will, choices in accordance with the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking within us, that actually he enables and empowers that. And again, I was too tongue-tied to say that to her, but that's for next time. So we're going to be thinking this morning about choices because really this whole letter from Paul to Timothy has been about the experienced man saying to the younger man, I want to help you make the right choices in your own life, in your ministry, in the broader community. That's what this letter is about. So let's turn now to the passage. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 6 from verse 11 to the end of the passage. But you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, man of God. Now just look at that phrase, by the way. That's the exact phrase by which people like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and all those people, that's how they were referred to in the Bible. He's giving Timothy a really big rap here. He says, you man of God, flee from all this. Okay, who remembers what all this is? Because that's last week's passage, isn't it? Oh, yeah, okay. So that was about people who are quarrelling, people who are teaching false things, who are leading people astray. It's about people who get into useless arguments. It's about people who see life as being all about getting more and more money. Those are the things that Timothy is to flee. And instead, he is told to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. So Paul's advice is, I guess if he was speaking to us as a congregation, keep your pastor on the run, Barry take note, (laughs) running away from these bad things but running towards quite definitely these good things, righteousness, right living, doing that which we know is God's will. Godliness, well it's perhaps another way of saying much the same thing but we could also say it's about living with reverence, with an inner sense of worship in all that we do. With faith and loyalty is the other possible translation of that word. With love, the word is agape, one which we've heard elsewhere in other contexts. With endurance, and this doesn't just refer to hanging on by the skin of your teeth. No, this is like a, you know, a lighthouse sitting on a rock that the waves smash against it, but they can't knock it down. That's the kind of endurance that he's referring to. And with gentleness, and again, this is an interesting word, which they struggle to translate, but if I could give you a sense of it, this kind of gentleness is the iron fist in the velvet glove. 
Those are the qualities which Paul is urging Timothy to to pursue, to chase after, to lay hold of. Thanks. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of, don't let go of, the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good profession in the presence of many witnesses. And he's probably referring to Timothy's baptism when he says that. Yeah, keep going. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one ever has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Paul's getting pretty excited there, isn't he? Got a bit carried away. Command those who are rich in this present world. It's almost as though he thought, I'm going to wind the letter up here. Oh, and by the way, here's something else important I need to remind you of. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't you love that phrase? Can we go back to that? I just want to dwell on that for a moment. He richly provides us with everything everything for our enjoyment. He's a good, good father. He's extravagant. He's not some penny pincher. Life isn't meant to be about counting all the beans and being uh, somehow sort of obsessed with keeping it all tied down. We are the children of a generous God and he calls us to live and walk in that generosity because everything is provided for our enjoyment. It's a lovely phrase. Thanks, Andrew. Let's keep going. Command them, that's rich people, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care, Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father and that you have richly blessed us with so much and you have given us all this for our enjoyment. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us afresh. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fall upon us and refresh us again now. Fill us again this very moment. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Change us perfect your image in us, here and now, we pray. Amen. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up this time, but I wonder, if I did, and I asked you this question, am I rich? Put your hand up if you're rich. 
how many would actually do so. But you don't have to, that's fine. Because I suspect that not many of us would like to say that we are rich. And if you wouldn't say that you were rich, why would you not say you're rich? What is it that leads you to believe that you are not rich? I wonder in your own mind, when you think about riches, with whom are you comparing yourself? You know, are you comparing yourself to a Nepali peasant? Are you comparing yourself to Gina Reinhart or James Packer or Andrew Forrest, one of these sort of multi-billionaires who often feature in our media? Well, perhaps you're not rich compared to them. More likely, you're comparing yourself with your neighbour or with the people that you see on TV or you know, on social media or those kinds of things. I find it interesting, though, that we live in a country, and these sort of statistics uh, you, know, you will have heard before, but you know, we, we live in the top sort of 6 or 7% of the world's uh, sort of average income. Uh, here we are, sitting in this comfortable place uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, most of us either have been in gainful employment or uh, are now retired from that. And yet many of us would struggle to say that we are rich. And yet this passage hints at perhaps a different definition of riches, one that certainly includes our finances, absolutely, yes, but actually is a little bit more than that. So as I hinted before, I believe when we really unpack it, that to be rich, to be wealthy, is to have choices. People who are desperately poor people who are in slavery, to take it to an extreme, these people have great limitations on their choices or even none at all. Whereas a person who is free and is able to choose, that person is truly rich. Or let me put it to you another way, and this perhaps puts a different spin on whether it's good to be rich or not. I believe that rich people are not forced to rely on God. But poor people are, aren't they? And maybe that's why sometimes, I mean, I've I've been to Nepal, I mentioned Nepali peasants, that's one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, I loved my time there, but I was astonished by the warmth, the apparent happiness and the generosity of people in rural Nepal, even though statistically these were some of the poorest and on the face of it, least powerful people on the planet. Some of those people, as I got to discover from chatting with them, some of those people were Christians and their joy came because they actually were forced to rely on God and they had found him to be good and that empowered them and that made them happy. But I still put it to you, if we want to put it a third way, to the extent that you or I or any of us collectively have choices, to that extent we are rich might not be there in your bank balance, maybe it is, but if you have choices, then you are rich. So, you know, simple things. You chose what clothes you put on this morning. You can choose what food you have. You know, last night we sat down to dinner with our extended family and for various reasons we finished up, you know, ordering in some Uber Eats. We were able to choose to do that. That's riches, that's power. You presumably, many of us, have chosen the home in which we live. We've chosen the car that we drive. We choose what we do with our leisure time, even if it's as simple as choosing what channel we watch or what we stream. We often have choices in terms of what we do work-wise, though I confess I'm aware that that's not always the case for everyone. So, in fact, if we define wealth as being about having choices, pretty much each and every one of us is rich. 
rich in a way that people of many ages, of many times, of all strata of, of, uh, of our civilization, if they could look forward and see where we are now, they would be envious. So why aren't we happier about that? Why are we not celebrating that? Why do we not walk in that generosity uh, with, uh, with a greater degree of confidence and excitement and joy? Because, you know, within the church and certainly elsewhere within the gospel, you might sometimes get the feeling that being rich is a bit bad. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for, uh, for, a, camel to walk through the, than for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. You know, woe unto you who are rich in this world, etc., etc. But I think Paul would want to remind us that riches are not automatically bad, although they certainly can be a snare. Indeed, they were all given to us for our enjoyment if we have them. And if we want to look about it, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of people who had riches and chose, so they were rich in wealth and they had choices, they chose to use those riches well. The wise men brought costly gifts to Jesus at his birth. Jesus' ministry was supported by wealthy women. There are other wealthy people who blessed Jesus. Nicodemus was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea gave up his grave. Barnabas, who was mates with Paul, who wrote this letter, Barnabas actually sold a large plot of land and laid the money at the apostles' feet. He was, he was generous. He had land. He was wealthy. Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is praised for giving freely to those around him. Lydia, a woman in Joppa who was a wealthy businesswoman, was also one who supported the saints. So riches are not automatically bad. Indeed, how could they be? If you have that, who decided what you have? He did. How could that automatically be bad? It makes no sense. The material things that we have are the lavish gifts of a generous God. It's not the size of our wealth, though. It's what we do with it that counts. Make the right choices, Paul would say. Andrew, can you put up this next verse? So I want to just read you a little passage to remind people when they look at what they have and feel contented where it came from. And this is in, comes from Deuteronomy. So this is God through Moses speaking to the people of Israel as they are entering and taking possession of the promised land as they, as they look at that prospect. And he says to them, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is our God who gives us these things and we are kidding ourselves if we think it's all the work of our own hands. And he wants us to be generous to be grateful and when we sit in the midst of all that plenty of all the good things he's given us for our enjoyment not to forget the Lord our God to make the right choices. We are encouraged specifically in this passage to store up treasures in heaven. What does that phrase mean to store up treasures in heaven? Can you buy shares in the bank of Jerusalem? Would that do it? You can't take it with you, can you? Otherwise, imagine how big some people's coffins would be. You'd probably need to have a whole sort of procession. You can't take it with you. What can you do? How can you store up treasures in heaven with your riches, whatever they may be? The answer is that you invest those riches, whether they be wealth, whether they be time, 
whether they be some ability that you have, whatever that may be that God has given you, you invest those riches in the lives of others and in particular in building up his people. And if you do those, you are storing up true wealth that cannot be corrupted by moth, which doesn't rust, which time doesn't cause to fade away. Use your riches, whatever they may be, wisely, Paul says. Make the right choices. So how then do we make those right choices? It's all very well saying, choose to do the right thing, but how do I know in a day-to-day sense what the right thing is? How would I know whether this option is better than that option? Well, obviously, we have the Word of God as a guide, and that certainly gives us some excellent general principles and, in some cases, specific advice. But what we don't do is have a a code for every conceivable situation in life. The Pharisees tried that, and look where that got them. What we have is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within each one of us guides us if we will but listen. If we will but listen. Every believer has living within them the Holy Spirit of God who is there to tell us, go this way, take that choice, don't do that now, that's not for you at this point in time. And not only does the Holy Spirit guide us, but the Holy Spirit also empowers us, he enables us, he makes it possible for us to do these things. So God knows that the choices that he asks of us are often very hard. They are difficult, we do face some difficult choices, every one of us in our lives some more often than others, it would seem. But he says, not only will I put it on your heart, will I whisper to your spirit what it is that I want you to do, but I will give you the power to do it, the power to live right, the power to be generous, the power to store up treasures in heaven. And as we obey, God blesses us more. This is where the prosperity people kind of got mistakenly their their teaching from because I firmly believe that if we are generous, if we pass on whatever riches we have to other people that God says, well, here's someone I can trust it with, have a bit more because he knows that we just act as the way station rather than as some sort of reservoir holding it all for ourselves. And on Father's Day, then this isn't specific about, isn't specific about, uh, about money, but when I think about choices, last night, as I said, we, we had dinner and we were there with our two sons and their wives and our two little granddaughters. Some of you will know that there was a period of time where there was great tension and conflict within our family where a couple of members vowed and declared they were never having anything to do with each other, where we were estranged from a couple of members of our family in, in one case for about 18 months. And during that time, which I must say was probably the most hurtful and difficult time I've ever experienced in my life, to be estranged from people who were just so dear to me, to know that brokenness, there were often times when we thought, well, should we say this? Should we do that? But either through godly people who walked with us, and some of them are sitting here today, you know who you are, or directly through the voice of the Holy Spirit. God guided us and repeatedly he said, don't worry, I've got this. Don't worry, I've got this. And when we thought we had a good idea of how to get things going again and we took it to him, if he said, no, don't do that, okay, don't understand, but we're backing off. And now to see the fruit of that some two or three years down the track, to sit watching my children and my grandchildren being happy and at ease together. I can't tell you how glad I I am to have a father who not only helps me make the right choices, 
that gives me the power to do them when in my own strength I am absolutely spent. And that is the God that we worship and the God who gives us all things for our enjoyment. And if I really needed to see the truth and the importance of that, I look at my brother's life, his marriage ended badly, he's remarried, but one of the echoes of that difficult breakup of his marriage, and he's no longer a believer, is that he is estranged from his children. And I look at the choices that he has made when relating to his children in times of difficulty, and they're choices that before I came to faith, I probably would have made. But the fruit of those has not been good. And I am so thankful to my God that he guides us in the most difficult of situations. He gives us the power to choose and he enables us to do what is right. That is the God that we serve. A God who calls us to choose, to choose to do the right thing, to choose to forgive without demanding anything in return. That is our God, the God that we're talking about this morning. So Paul says to us, choose Choose which way you will run. What are you going to do? He wants us to run away from all that useless, quarrelsome, negative stuff and run towards these good and godly qualities. He wants us to run away from those who think that life and ministry is about money because, frankly, that's a form of idolatry. He wants us to run away. And if we go look to 2 Timothy 2, verse 22 which is a bit of a she-selled seashells by the seashore kind of verse, isn't it? But easy to remember. This is another one where Paul is clearly thinking about the running uh, metaphor and he says to Timothy, flee youthful passions. Or if you've got an older translation, he would say, flee youthful lusts. So what's he referring to? Well, the obvious one is sexual temptation, but I think there's probably more to it than that. Um, You know, What is it that Paul was thinking about that young people were perhaps particularly prone to? Maybe that sense of needing to belong and, and therefore allying yourself to the wrong group. Maybe that sense of, uh, of um, uh, being un- ungrounded or of being a little bit um, lacking security in your own identity and therefore having to put on a mask or behave in a certain way. Perhaps the habit that we can have of equating our appearance with our identity. We're all potentially guilty of that, but particularly young people. But Paul says, flee away from those things. He doesn't say stand and fight. He doesn't say negotiate with them. He says, run, have nothing to do with them. Clear off, get out of there. But instead, run towards those good qualities that we saw in the first verse. Run towards right living. Run towards a clear conscience. Run towards knowing the truth and acting on it. Faith, love, endurance, godliness. If we make choices that lead us towards those things, our God will bless us. He's a generous father. He wants the best for us. So what can we say in conclusion about this series of messages and about this particular passage? So Paul, the experienced leader, and I'm I'm enjoying Dylan's T-shirt. You you lot can't see it, but he's he's actually got a, a... Surely that's not Darth Vader on the front. Yeah, okay, so apparently Darth Vader is the best dad in the galaxy. (laughs) You are my son. (laughs) Paul is writing to his young Padawan. Do you like that bit of riffing? But anyway, there we are. He's writing to his young Padawan, Timothy, and his advice is directed at Timothy, who is a leader, but because it's about choices that Timothy will make in his leadership role, To the extent that you and I have choices, even if we're not in a role of leadership, then this is good advice for us 
as well. Because choices are the currency of our lives. We all have them to spend. How will we choose to spend them? We make many choices every day. Every one of us here in this Western world is rich in choices day after day after day. And Paul says to Timothy, and through him he says to us now, every one of us, choose to seek out what is true. Choose to stand firm in what you know to be right. Choose to live the right way with integrity. Choose to keep on living right. In other words, go on making those choices repeatedly. Choose to be and to set a good example to those around you. Choose to allow God to develop his own character within you, to grow the lovely fruit of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So today, each one of us faces choices today and every day. But maybe there are some particular choices. Maybe you are facing the choice to choose to follow Jesus for the very first time. Maybe there are people here who are at a significant fork in the road. You have a big decision to make. Which way do I go? What is the right thing to do? What is the right path? God says to us, through the Holy Spirit, listen to me. I will guide you to make the right choices. If we choose to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit to spend the riches of our time and, yes, our money, rightly, then we run towards godliness, right living, integrity, and his spirit lives in us. Choices. Every day, many choices. He speaks. He guides. He enables He's a generous God who's given us all things for our enjoyment. Amen.